Hey everyone, welcome to episode 9 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Brendan Jackson. We're here with Avi Chaplinsky and Paul Stamatiu. They both work on the photo and video team at Twitter. Paul also has started a few companies of his own. And Avi spent 13 years at Apple working on new user interfaces. So this is our first episode with two guests. And we hope you enjoy the format. Sort of an experiment for us. Uh, if you have any thoughts on this episode, definitely hit us up on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. Or you can shoot us an email. Uh, that's designdetailsfm at gmail.com. Thanks so much to everyone that's been hitting us up this week. Uh, we really appreciate all the feedback and thoughts. Uh, we're still thinking about uh, doing more than one episode a week and trying to think about what kind of content might work and what might feel good. Let's be honest. We're kind of leaning toward doing two episodes a week of some sort. Yeah, yeah. I think we're leaning towards two, but maybe not necessarily two like hour-long ones. I don't know. So we're still exploring. Uh, so if you still have more thoughts, definitely hit us up on Twitter or send us an email. We've gotten a surprising amount of feedback. It's been awesome. It's nice to see people like really care about what the future of the show is. Yeah, yeah, it's been great. I think people are also leaning towards more than one episode as well. So that's always encouraging. Um, so yeah, thank you, everyone. Uh, before we get into this show, I uh, wanted to quickly thank our sponsors. Uh, support for design details comes from iconfinder.com. They have the largest selection of premium vector icons, and you're always sure to find the perfect icon for your design project. If you sign up for Icon Finder Pro today, you can use the promo code ROBOT to get 50-50% off your first month. So check them out, iconfinder.com. Our second sponsor is once again Hover. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. You take all the hassle and friction out of buying a domain and make it so fast and easy to get what you need and get back to focusing on your idea. Uh, if you use the, the promo code BRAGDRIVEN, all one word, you'll save 10% off your first purchase. And now let's get down to episode 9. Can we t- count this one as 10 because it's two people? 9 and 10? I think just 9. All right, episode <laughs> 9 with Paul Stamatiu and Avi Chaplinski. Thanks for joining us, Paul and Avi. How's it going? Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Going pretty well. So far. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you guys working on right now? Uh, so Avi and I just uh, kind of worked on the the production and launch of Twitter Video. Uh, Twitter Video has been a nice milestone that we got out there to kind of show off uh, how design and engineering can collaborate closely. Uh, a lot of fun gestural things in there, a lot of design details in there. Um, and I but really I'm want sh- to bring Avi on board to kind of talk about how, uh, during the process, did a lot of prototyping. Uh, so I do prototyping myself with Framer and Pixate, things like that. I love it. Uh, but then Avi does next level stuff in native iOS code. And uh, it's really been a, an awesome time working with him. Yeah, no, it's been a, a lot of fun working together. I just look at them as very complementary kind of skill sets. Like Stammy can do stuff that I can't pull off. Um, I just have the background to do the native kind of programming. So that's the approach I take to the prototyping and they each have their place, but uh, it's been a really good collaboration combining them together. Could you tell us, or go, uh, could you just tell us a little bit about maybe how you guys actually work together? Like what's that process like? And yeah, so usually I'll be at a point where I have some visual designs already done in something like sketch uh, and I'm playing around with some, how something could work or maybe even I have a small motion study or interaction uh, design kind of built in Framer, Framer Studio, and I have an idea of how things should play together, but then it gets a little more complicated. I have more gestures I want to play with, and I'll usually come to Avi with probably like an actual screencast of my Framer prototype with an idea of what, what I kind of want um, and how I want it to function, and he'll play around with it on his own, like have his own ideas, 
uh, play with different values, play with entirely different design directions too. He, he'll even like open my sketch files and tinker with it too. Um, and then I'll come back in a day or two and uh, he's got a lot of cool concepts to show me on like native iOS code um, that works. So you design for Android first, you say a lot of time, right? Yeah, uh, it really depends what device I'm carrying around the most. Uh, when the iPhone 6 came around, I was carrying that around a lot. Then the Nexus 6 came around, so I switched back to that. Um, but I, I have two, two SIMs, so I'm usually dual phoning most of the time. But I mean, I'm primarily Android is my main thing. Okay. So, and then you're an iOS developer mainly. Yeah, I mean, I have the background at Apple, so that makes it the most natural thing for me to develop for. But um, and so that's kind of where I work. But I'm not afraid to use that tool set to work on Android features. It just I look at it as just a way to put pixels on a screen and let people do interactions. So if it's something that's Android UI and it just shows up on an iOS device, then that gets the point across as much as learning how to do it. The other consideration is uh, I do iOS or Android depending on you know which uh, development team is working on that first. So it could be the iOS team is has more kind of spare time to work, work on this feature now. So I'll design iOS, uh, Android might be a little behind or ahead. So it just, I mean, it depends on what part of the, the the project each team is on, even if we're building the same feature. Uh, what were the differences with Android and iOS on Twitter video? Uh, design differences? Yeah, or just the whole process differences working on the different OS. Uh, Android in general, not just Twitter at all, but just like Android in general, it seems to have a few more challenges when it comes to camera APIs. It seems to take a little bit longer to turn the camera on. Uh, so these are just considerations that need to be kind of woven into design. Uh, make it obvious that you're recording. Make it obvious that the camera hasn't started quite recording yet, even though you're holding your finger down. Um, so things like the pulsing red indicator icon on, on Android, it needs to be obvious that it hasn't started recording yet. One thing I was curious about, so Paul, you wrote this huge in-depth post about how you built Twitter video, and I hadn't actually seen anything quite that in-depth from any big tech, com- tech company ever. Uh, how did you get the green light on that? Like. Was that a huge process <laughs> Good or question. did they let you run? Uh, so yeah, that, that was a huge post that took like two weeks of spare time, like on the weekends or after hours on, uh, during weekdays. Um, but really it's, it comes down to like, we had a good story to tell. And I talked to Mike Davidson, our VP of de- design, and, uh, he was on board with it. He was cool with it. And I just kind of pinged our, le- our comms and legal team and they're surprisingly like, totally happy with it. So, so Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So, I mean, I hope we can do more of this, um, kind of show off the process or have other designers on board, kind of just talk about what they're working on. I mean, obviously after it's launched, but yeah. for the design community, I think that's so huge. I was like, this is going to be one of the most valuable posts coming out right now. Like actually seeing how people are shipping real features. Um, you don't really get that inside glimpse too often. Yeah. I tweeted this thing last week about, uh, dribble. There was that guy that, uh, tweeted that he was basically, or he, he dribbled yes, that he was leaving dribble. He's leaving dribble. dribble. <laughs> and then I kind of tweeted about that and I was like, well, for me, the most valuable thing is the process. It's not the final product. And it seems to be like dribble nowadays is all about the final product. Uh, whereas I thought back in the day, I would see people doing like early versions. People would post like rebounds and things like that. It was so, meant to be a place for feedback and now it's just, hey, this is shiny. Tell me it's good. Yeah. So that's why I, I really see value in the design process blog posts. And I hope that more people do those in the catch on. Interesting. Yeah, for me, I mean, that kind of thing is one of the appeals of working somewhere that isn't Apple. Is just there's a chance to 
give a little bit more insight into what goes on you know, inside the company and what people are working on and the tools we're using to do that work. And that's kind of a fun thing to do because, you know, if you're proud of what you do, especially if you're kind of in this prototyping role, little of your direct work product goes into the final product. So you can talk about, you know, what inspired what and what, um, you know, how some of your work informed the final product, but there's little you can point to and say, that's the exact thing I made. And so one of the appealing things of coming to work at Twitter was saying, okay, well, there's a chance that I can kind of give some more of this back to the community and they can do with it as they wish. So you mentioned like you consider yourself a prototyper? Well, I mean, that's such a generic word that, you know, a lot of people could call themselves that. Um, That's just not a title you hear very often. Yeah, I mean, it, it ends up getting attached to the work I do because... I'm not doing straight up, you know, development for the most part. Like for this video feature, we did do some, our prototyping team did do some actual like uh, implementation. But in general, it's like I'm doing coding for the most part, but I'm not shipping the app, but I'm also not a designer by trade. So it's like, okay, what is that? Well, that's a prototyper. Um, But it kind of needs that explanation because it's such a generic word. But that's kind of it, is that I'm on this prototyping team, which effectively means we like uh, do prototyping um, of ideas and work with people like Stammy, but we also uh, develop the tools that we use to do the prototyping in and whenever possible make those tools available to kind of the implementation. And that just things like the animation primitives that we use, some of the um, ways that we speed up the prototyping process that can be applied to the actual app. This all gets kind of vague because I'm not sure what we can talk about or not. But um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it's been building the animation primitives that let us do the kind of fun physical gestural UIs that are what you need to do today. And a lot of that can be applied to the real app itself. And so that's a part of what we do in our group that is very engineering based, but it's to a creative end. Yeah, one one example of that is, for example, on iOS, uh, when you tap the the capture button in video, it kind of does this little subtle bounce, and that was using their uh, animation framework. In addition, in addition to that, sorry, uh, your parameterization framework. So, uh, one of the developers from the um, prototyping team, David Hart, worked with a, one of our engineers on the video team to start using this new framework, and then he can put in parameters and like the frequency the scale, things like that of your spring, defining your spring. And then I can go in there and adjust these sliders, find the perfect value, play with like 10 different variations. And then I'll just go ahead and commit the values of like, oh, it should scale to 1.3 times the size. The frequency should be like 28 or whatever that value was. And then just commit it. So it's pretty cool that I can just go in there, play with some sliders um, and go from there. Yeah, so those those tools are both help the prototyping work, but they're also, we look at them as kind of lowering the the difficulty of going from the design to the implementation so, so you don't only use the prototyping tools you've actually built some of them yeah right? and so uh like stammy mentioned like i do most of what i do when i sit down during the day is writing kind of native code for ios apps um but uh we so i do all you know ui kit whatever that kind of stuff but also We've been making our own tools for things like the parameterization or the animation primitives to do stuff that is either very difficult with the native API or just impossible to pull off. Um, 
And I think this is like a pattern you're seeing at kind of the bigger tech companies that they kind of are rolling their own tools to do some of this kind of stuff because it makes it their jobs much easier. Yeah, definitely. Is that something that you guys think Twitter will open source at some point for the community or is that quite, quite private right now? Um, well, that's the hope. I mean, it's private right now, partly because it's sort of not ready slash the team I'm on in particular, um, you know, we care about doing even the API stuff correctly. So it takes a certain amount of work to clean that up and say like, this is, you know, gold standard for a third party person to pick up and use. But that's the idea is we really want to open source it as much as we can. And again, that's like an appeal of working at a company like Twitter after coming from Apple is that these tools, they're not exactly the developer tools per se, even though you work on them and you're really proud of them. When I was working at Apple, at least the group I was in, you know they're never going to see the light of day. And that's kind of a shame because they're really quite useful and often really elegant and a lot of work goes into them. And so for the Twitter stuff, that's kind of the hope is that we, the stuff we've been building, we can take some time and get it ready and then open source it. So coming from Apple to a very public company, does, <laughs> does that feed into your like personality? I mean, Paul is the easiest person on the internet to find. <laughs> you're well, a little yeah. bit more tight so we were we were talking about i mean there's a certain uh it's a combo i think of like personality but then you're right like i basically only worked at apple before working at twitter and I, I worked at apple for a long time and it probably fed on itself just the like well keep a low profile especially in any kind of like professional setting and so yeah i'm like hard to find but i think it's also just in my nature like i'm not a super um like I guess like self-promotional person. So like uh, I don't make a point to put that stuff on there and all my work product was something I couldn't put out directly. So yeah, uh, there's much less about me. You're not the number one Avi on Google. No, no, no. (laughs) Um, But for me, like the biggest change was like, it's really just, I worked at a place for a really long time and then even going anywhere else, let alone what the other place was, is, was like a big decision and a big change. And, you know, I'm sure even, you know, you guys, like, you work at a place long enough, even if it's just, like, for a relatively short amount of time, it starts to become part of your personality because it's a story you tell everyone about, oh, you know, what do you do? What do you do? So when you change that, it's a big deal. And when I, you'd been somewhere as long as I had, it was, like, a big deal just to put that part of your side aside. Is Twitter part of your personality now, Paul? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, even before I joined Twitter, I was on, I joined Twitter 2006, 2007, I was under the first million. I was like user number 600,000 something. And I still use it actively today. And obviously uh, I consider it kind of just part of my own identity rather than like an about me or my homepage, just Stammy. As a designer there, do you ever get the chance to surface ideas like, oh, this, this isn't working for me. I want to build this. And then you get to propose it and then it gets shipped. Does that happen? I mean, you, yeah, you can propose anything you want. There's like there's routes for that. There's email lists. There's like, you know, I'll just talk to the team. How flexible is that? Uh, I mean, is there like a really structured pipeline of stuff? Or if you had an idea today? And- I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously every team has their own priorities. Right. So like if it's an entirely different team that you want to pitch an idea to, yeah, that's like you have to work with them. Um, but for me, most of my ideas are on the photos and videos team and I have a direct ability to, to work on this. That's awesome. Are, I was wondering, are you guys a sort of unique developer designer combo within the company or are there quite a lot of pairs like this? I think there's a lot of pairs like this. I mean, every team has designers, developers. You, I mean, they work closely all the time to ship products. 
Uh, I think the unique for, thing for us is that we we kind of work really early on things, even just shooting around ideas. Did you guys know each other before Twitter? Nope. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just, I just, I mean, I just saw what he could do with Xcode, and I was like, oh, you gotta help me out with this thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, it, it's just been a really good partnership. Like that's the way I look at uh, the most effective way to work is, yeah, you start early throw a lot of ideas around with like smart people, whether they're like designers, engineers, whatever, uh, build them as cheaply as you can while you f- figure out what the right thing to, to invest in is. And like we had, you know, the video stuff, I, I haven't been at Twitter long, so it was already very well underway by the time I kind of learned about it and got involved. Um, but, you know, I think we had a really productive relationship that let us do some stuff really quickly um, that everybody could get on board with. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, when you're designing a product and you're trying to go through different options, you may come to a scenario where like, oh, you have two things that you want to test out and everyone says, oh, let's just feel it. Let's like play with it, see how it feels. Uh, And you really have to actually build those things and eventually you'll get to the point where like, oh, you just go with one or this or that. It comes hard to actually like start playing with it. So in the last year, the rise of prototyping, like I said, Pixate, the framers, et cetera, they've really made this a lot easier. but there's some limitations. It's a little bit harder to do gestural stuff. You're still playing with a web browser, except for Pixate, of course. But like, it's not quite the most performant. Um, so when it comes to Avi, and he doesn't even have to build it inside the Twitter app itself. He builds it in like you know a standalone dummy app, his own code. So there's no overhead or anything, um, and it makes it really quick to get an idea of how something could really feel. Um, and that's what you can kind of more uh, realistically base your decisions off of. Yeah, I'll say rather than just like yeah, looking at a mocks and be like, oh, this, then and think about how it could work. Like, and then it could slide up, and then if you get the scrolling just right, it's good. And like, it's very wishy washy. But now with all these prototyping tools and native code, there's no reason you shouldn't be basing it off of like actual interactions that you're playing around with. Yeah, I was just gonna give a shout out the the way you're talking about uh, this process and kind of building stuff um, easy and cheap and kind of running. Uh, shout out to my former group at Apple. Like the last WWDC, there was a like a prototyping session, and that's the group that I was in. So I left before the actual session, but I work with them to kind of build that. Um, anyway, it's a great set of people, and it, they showed a bit of like the approach that I still use of just getting your idea as real as you can, as cheap as you can, while you're still figuring out how it should work. And there's more and more tools to do this which is great. Um, I use the tools I'm familiar with, which tends to be the native code stuff, but um, that's even pretty heavy-handed when it comes to prototyping. So, um, but yeah. Yeah, I just saw Origami launch their version 2.0 this week. That's pretty cool. And Pixate just announced Pixate Studio, which I'm stoked about. This, like, last year has been amazing. I mean, when we started working on video, like, Framer was out, but, you know, the adoption wasn't quite there. Framer Studio was just coming out. And then I just picked it up, and then like freaking every week, new update, new update, new version of this, new version of that. Oh, you can do this now. You can do this now. There's an Android app. Like I just picked, like it was just a perfect storm of timing. Speaking of new updates, you said you use Sketch. I do. Are you on the beta? I am not. I saw it. 3.3. Oh, the beta it has is the so Ske- good. You can tell it the IP of Sketch Mirror. Yes. Which is amazing because on our corporate Wi-Fi, like I can never find the device. So I actually wire mine on. Uh, like I, I don't actually. Oh, the, like USB? Yeah. I'm pretty lazy about it, so I, I I'm like, come over to my desk, come over, check this out. Yeah. Just kind of downside, but if if you're meeting with a new designer, would you recommend they start in the prototyping phase of things, or is is that still 
a niche that people can work into and specialize in? Well, I mean, obviously, yeah, you can't really prototype until you're at that phase of the design where like you need questions to be answered. So, I mean, if you have a need for it, yes. Um, I, yeah, I guess like if I'm a if I'm a brand new designer, right? Well, maybe not brand new. I'm a year junior designer, um, and I'm coming to Twitter. Uh, do I need to learn prototyping to work effectively with you guys, or will I be effective just doing Sketch and Photoshop? I mean, I think it really depends on what you're doing. If you're trying to do things that, um, you know, you're loading another page, you're doing this, that, things that the platform itself has solved, I mean, you don't really need to. Um, of course, if you have like a long flow that you just want to show to stakeholders, uh, like how this all works together, what happens if you tap this and just kind of showing your entire design, sure, like prototyping is great there too. So when it comes to just storytelling or showing off like the gestures, the interactions, the new paradigms you're playing with for loading different things, Prototype works there too. So I think regardless of what you're using it for, you can find a way to fit it into your workflow. Granted, for the easier stuff, like you're just loading a modal, you don't really need it. Unless you want it to really spring in. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Unless you're going to post it on Dribble. Yeah. <laughs> so you came from a dev background, right? Didn't you go to school for... So I went to Georgia Tech, and there's this newfangled major called computational media. And I wasn't in the major initially. My first year, I actually did computer engineering. Um, I thought like I was going to go to like a motherboard manufacturing company afterwards. That was the coolest thing. Building computers was amazing. And I took all these like double E classes and Carnot maps and you wrote, signal processing. And you then, wrote tons of like how-to guides on yeah. writing code, which was super helpful to me when I was first starting out. So uh, that's what I knew you from. And then I was <laughs> awesome. like, oh, he's a designer at Twitter? Like, <laughs> Yeah. And then uh, my second year of college, I changed to this new major that some, some friends were in called computational media. And it was essentially a hybrid of computer science and design. So I had like drawing classes, industrial design classes where we learned about chairs, all this kind of stuff. And then I had a class where we designed sprites for a game for the Game Boy Advance and then coded it in C. So like it was like cutting edge stuff back in, back in like two, early 2000s. Actually, late 2000s. Uh, <laughs> sorry, wrong decade. How old uh, are you? Yeah, and so I had a class like that. I had Java, you know, and I also had my traditional flash web design classes, interaction design uh, with PHP. Like, so it was a pretty, I, I love the program. There's only like a couple of us in that class, like in, in the major. And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger every year. Was there a desire for you to like help other people get into the field? Cause like I was saying, you, you wrote a lot of tutorials. Yeah. So my, I'll just give you a little background story uh, in 30 seconds of my blog. I started my blog because a friend wanted to know how to like configure a BitTorrent client. So I just wrote a how-to. Like, oh, here's how to configure Azurius. That's awesome. And then it got on Dig and Lifehacker. And then it took it killed the hard drive in my Mac Mini that was hosting my dorm. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. I'll write a part two. I'll write part three. So then like how-to guides became my thing. Okay. And then people just kept linking to it. And I was like, okay, I'll keep writing them. So it was more like a desire for traffic? Like it just it was something you enjoyed? Started. And then like people like started... Thanking me for my article, my article is emailing me, and then it just kind of came my thing. Mm. So I've been blogging since 2005 now. And you were kind of pretty well known as a as an exceptionally good SEO person. SEO person is that it? I don't know how to say that, but I don't SEO know if I was guru. A good SEO person. I think I just got on the internet earlier. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but then you got featured in some pretty unique marketing opportunities with. Uh, that is true. Nike and Ford. Yeah. Uh, kind of a long distance in between, but. Yeah, so uh, when the Nike Plus came out, when they announced it, like the chip in your shoe, talks to your iPod, it's pretty cool. 
So I had to blog about it. I was in college. I was like, oh, Nike has a new thing. And then like a little bit later, when they actually launched the, shoot, the, the actual Nike Plus, uh, Nike had an agency that they hired to find real users of this uh, to like put in a little commercial. And of course, they didn't know what this thing was. Like it just barely came out. So this agency Googled it. They found me, first result, of course. They're like, oh, let's just get this guy and this little lad. Uh, so I sent them like a demo video. This like 2007 or eight. I don't even remember. This was a while ago. I actually, I had a prototype Nike Plus shoe while at Apple. So I was kind of <laughs> playing with uh, iPod accessories and helping them test. And so, yeah, they one day were like, all right, what's your shoe size? And then I showed up and that's what they had. So it was like a pre-release that's prototype awesome. shoe. It was like the whole Nike Plus story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I had no idea. We're just breaking new ground here. Yeah, so they, they, they liked my little demo video, which was silly at the time. And they flew like 10 people over to my apartment in Atlanta. And they interviewed me from like 5.30 in the morning to like 8 a.m. to like get sound bites and stuff. And then we like went around and then like Escalade all day. And I was like running behind it. Or they would like have me on the sidewalk of a bridge as they drove by. Or we were like filming behind an Ikea and Ikea kicked us out. <laughs> and I was just like running for like the entire day. I was so tired. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. We should probably take a second to thank our first sponsor. Thank you again to IconFinder.com for sponsoring this episode of Design Details. IconFinder Pro gives you virtually unlimited downloads for premium icons. They have 450,000 icons in their library right now, and they're adding 20,000 new ones every single month. Uh, there's 1,500 illustrators out there right now that are adding icons to IconFinder. Many of them are our friends, yeah, which is amazing. They're, they're, it's, they're real designers, real people that we interface with every day. Yeah, and the cool thing is IconFinder pays these people 70% of the money uh, whenever you sign up for IconFinder Pro. So uh, check them out. They have the world's largest selection of premium vector icons. They have them in SVG format, PNGs. They work in Photoshop, Illustrator, Sketch. Whatever tools you use, IconFinder is going to work for you. So check them out. You can use the promo code ROBOT when you sign up for IconFinder Pro and you'll get 50% off your first month. So thank you again to IconFinder Pro for sponsoring this episode. Um, I was curious, just going back to Twitter, if that's cool. Uh, are there any like unknown or lesser known problems that you guys have when you're working on such a huge platform? Anything unexpected? I mean, there's, all, there's always unexpected things that come up. Yeah, I mean, for me, part of it is just the fact that it kind of is a platform. Like, there is a lot to the product, and there's a lot of that go outside of any of the like apps that people see. But also, you know, it's the different clients and web and Android and and iOS and Mac stuff, and it just there's a lot to it more than I even really mm-hmm. had a clue about before I joined. And so that's a big part of it is just kind of realizing that. You might have some idea, but it has impacts in other areas you hadn't considered, which doesn't necessarily mean you can't do it, but you have to think about it in a much bigger, yeah. uh, a more uh, yeah, wider scope than you might have imagined. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the one thing I, uh, I learned kind of coming to a much larger company, a much larger design team, uh, consistency. We have a platform team. They kind of make things more modular, I, I would say. Um, so you you kind of know what you're working with here and not like you don't have every designer doing a new thing on every different page. Um, that's just absolutely vital at this kind of scale. So they put out like style guides and stuff like that? I want to call it style guides. I would just call it components that you kind of reuse. Um, And then if you need to do something entirely different and you have a good reason, you obviously modify that as you need. Uh, But just making sure that everyone has the basic building blocks. So that'd be like Twitter video where you're having to come up with brand new components. But 
still inside the same platform, right? Something like that. But I, I might consider Twitter video is not really like a building block for other people because it's just in camera. We're not going to use that anywhere else. So the the custom camera, as I would call it, is just it's kind of its own thing. Still kind of playing into like Twitter's style and brand. Yeah, yeah, okay. There is some stuff like, you know, the tool tips are kind of, those oh, yeah, are yeah. some components that might be part of the video that, you know, other people might reuse. Um, weren't necessarily created for the video, but that's like some common bits that are in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of new elements, um, one of your descriptors was, uh, Avi, was <laughs> a UI inventor. Yeah, well, that goes uh, back, like, okay, Apple, I think, was generally pretty good. Like, you could basically just, like, create your job title and no one really cared. And this is the time, I don't know if anyone does it uh, anymore, but, you know, printing business cards or whatever, so you can just, like, figure out what title you wanted to be on Is there. that what it said on your business card? Yeah, that's what I put on there. And actually, I have to give credit, <laughs> like, I, I think I had something in a similar vein, but a little bit more boring, but I think it was, uh, so one of the people on my team early on was, uh, Brett Victor, who is sort of oh, famous damn. and different. Wow. Uh, and he, I think came up with that title. So I kind of aped it from him because yeah. I thought it was clever and it, it did cover what we were doing. But, um, I think my original one for that job I was in was something like, yeah, user experience or you know, developer or something like that. But, uh, yeah. He gets credit for that one. So one of the questions we've been asking people a lot is like, do you think there's novelty in creating new things inherently or does it have to be for a very specific purpose? Um, I would like to think that there should be some kind of purpose, even if that purpose is just like enjoyment or delight. I think there's either inherent in me or drilled into me from Apple is like, there should be some reason like Apple can do many things especially like they have essentially unlimited resources now. So what do you pick and what do you do? You try and pick the thing that has some real utility that can affect people's lives in some positive way, whether that's just for fun or for some kind of new way to communicate with other people or whatever. But um, I mean, you often don't know what the utility is going to be though. So people should feel free to kind of create whatever they like. And if, if it's something that feels good, often how, how it gets used by the world will be something you couldn't even have thought of. So what do you think of all the new hollow, hollow stuff coming from Microsoft and Oculus? And we, things yeah, like that? we, we talked about that one a lot. That that's really cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's great potential. I mean, obviously some of these ideas have been around for a long time, which to me says like, there's something to them. Like people have been working on them for a long time. They're still really hard problems. And I kind of, I don't know how they're all going to be solved, like just the technical side of things, but um, I'm, I'm still skeptical of saying like, okay, well, what are, what does the world really need with this? It needs really cool games. That's what it needs. <laughs> and, and that's like a use. And that's kind of the first one that comes to mind. I like to think, and I imagine that the people who are like pouring their life into this have some other thoughts in mind. And I, I guess Microsoft showed some, and I think probably the Oculus guys, um, also have some thoughts about what this could do that is more than just like a different way to play video games, which is like totally valid new thing. And often the place where new kinds of like interfaces or physical devices start. I mean, in games, despite John Carmack coming from games, I, I want to believe that he's chasing something pretty in, intense when he's uh, coming at this strongly. Yeah. And I think there, you know, there's uses for, even things like Google Glass, whatever, that are like, you know, for medical uses or for, you know, surgeons and stuff that you're, they're much more niche than maybe the 
uh, vision was originally, but are like totally valid. And you can imagine like that would enable people to do something they'd never done before. Or, like, you know, someone watching what the surgeon is doing and like giving them tips, like from their eye, you know, point of view or following. I mean, I don't even know all the possibilities, but you could say like that is a limited use. Like it's not something for everyone, but it's like an amazing thing that can make yeah. a big difference. You might be the first person I've ever heard say that it had value. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a little ridiculous, but like, that's why I was like, okay, it definitely didn't seem ready for prime time for a lot of ways, including all the kind of like social aspects of yeah. like interacting with people in the real world with these devices. But it doesn't. It shouldn't go away, and I guess that's maybe what Google decided too. It's like it's not dead. They took it away from, you know, one direction to presumably go think of like other uses slash how can they um, overcome some of the the other barriers they had. Yeah, you touched on the point of how style and like fashion kind of matters, especially with the demise of Google Glass. And I think that reminds me of uh, Paul Graham wrote a post I think a couple years ago about why uh, the Segway didn't take off. And I believe he said something like, people just look goofy riding them. <laughs> and that like plays to so many aspects of technology. I mean, you talk about the Google, the Google, um, Google Wear, Android Wear versus, uh, you know, everyone's talking about the, the Apple Watch. It's all about style, fashion. And there's like a hundred blog posts about how Apple is now in the fashion industry. And it's a little bit of fluff, but I, th- I think they got something there for sure. Have you guys tried building anything for the, the new stuff yet? I mean, I know you have, but that's a whole different thing. Yeah. I mean, I haven't really uh, done anything with the watch kit API as it is now. I kind of wanted to both wait to actually have the device, you know, on, I guess, on my hand, not in my hand or whatever. <laughs> but um, And then also wait for like the final API just to see like what they develop. Um, and because I knew that whatever they publish for the first time a device like that ever showed up would and pre-announced wouldn't be what the final API looked like. And I was like, well, I only have so much time in the day. Uh, maybe I'll think about cool ideas, but I'll wait to like try them out when I have the physical thing to play with and a more finalized API. Do you guys have any projects in mind, maybe outside of Twitter or inside of Twitter, if you can share for the watch? Um, not anything super firm. Like, Part of what I mentioned about waiting is like the, you know, they talk about like sending your heartbeat to someone else. And like that both seems, I mean, maybe not silly, but like kind of like, okay, well, whatever, kind of fluffy. But it's also like, you know, it is kind of this interesting like connection between people over some like ethereal way. Like it's different than sending a photo or whatever. And so I was kind of waiting to see, all right, well, what do they let? A third-party person do with that before just, i get too excited about saying oh man i could send who knows what along or whatever <laughs> uh wait to see if they actually let people do that or they say well today it's only for us in our heartbeat sending app but maybe in the future people can do something with i'm it. glad apple's enabling me to be rude to my wife and tap my wrist when i'm ready to go like remotely now <laughs> instead of just when she's making eye contact <laughs> oh wow that's a good use case actually that's what they announced in the thing time to go yep. yeah let's move it Nice. As long as it has real-time Uber uh, map, I'm good. <laughs> where's, my, where's my cab? Oh, that'd be cool. Oh, have you tried Android Wear yet? You use yeah, an Android yeah, phone. Um, I'm just not. I a know they have an person. Uber app. I just I, I lived with it for a month, two months. I I take it off when I start typing. I which one? Uh, I have the X. No, the three sixty. 
And I gave that to my engineering manager because I didn't need it. And then I have the LG... G-Watch? Yeah. Did you go to Google I.O.? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the pair. <laughs> What's your thought on wearables in general? I mean, you started pretty early with the uh, the Nike Plus. I mean, this is the whole history oh, yeah. of wearables in this room. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm still thinking that there needs to be a little bit of innovation in the, the form factor. These watches are a little, little chunky. Apple Watch looked really chunky. Um, unless you're a diehard watch person, like I, I just don't think it's going to be the thing for me. I don't think it really appeals to the diehard aesthetic either because they're like so technical usually. Like that, that seems to be the trend is everyone wants something that's like really intense. If they're, if they're spending a lot of money on a watch, like Gruber thinks it's going to be like $10,000 or $20,000 oh, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're going to spend money on a watch, it's it's almost like they go for the, the giant like really ridiculous looking chronometers and even just being able to see the movement inside is yeah, like a huge exactly. aesthetic thing too. Just having anything on my wrist just kind of annoys me. So it's definitely out for me. But when I was wearing my, my Android wear, uh, it was very interesting to like, just like kind of just take a little peek at it. Like, Oh, don't need to get my phone out. And it was very handy. Actually. I just did not like going home at night and having to plug in a second device. That's what I'm worried about is like, is it just going to become an interface a, a tertiary interface to your phone or can it do things on its own? I mean, that's all it is right now. At least yeah. the second part, well, right third now. party apps. But, huh. I guess I need to be more optimistic. I just want to know how people are going to innovate on that and like actually make it more than just, Views oh, I have a text a and then pull out your phone. Like, yeah. It's just an extra step, right? Like we'll have to wait and see. I was just thinking as you're talking about this, that like in some number of years, we'll listen to this podcast again and whatever we're saying will sound silly, either because we all use yes. one all the time. Yeah. Time or capsule we'll all be episode. Like, yeah, that was like, who the hell, you know, where's watches anymore? And like, maybe they'll bring <laughs> back uh, graffiti on these devices. The uh, BMW i8 on the iDrive circle, you can start like drawing a letter instead of spinning it uh, like a bunch of times to get your. Audi letter. has that too. Yeah. Oh yeah. What? Yeah, you can uh, you can yeah. write letters. You can draw it on there. Yeah. Like MMI three or yeah, whatever they added. Yep. The. I think RS3 was like the first one to come out with it, or the new A3. Car talk, yes. Oh. Yes. Why? What's the point? Uh, you don't have to look as much. Ideally, you can like you know what letters feel like. That's yeah, kind of the concept. The spinning the thing around to grab letters like works okay, but it feels... You have to, like, like you have to be looking, yeah. right? I mean, think yeah. about like playing video games and using a menu, and you have to like type with joysticks. It's the worst. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it's also probably sort of gimmicky. Like, I don't know. I never owned a car that had it, but it seems like it would add something useful. But it's interesting. Yeah. It's like one of these, um, like, interfaces that maybe it doesn't have value. But I, would, I like to believe that whoever created it thinks it has value. Yeah, you'd think that they would have voice recognition down, but they're still trying to innovate new like input methods for the. They've got to beat Google now first, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the one to beat. Should we take a quick break to thank our sponsors? Our second sponsor is Hover. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. When you have a great idea, you don't want to spend all your time coming up with a great name. I've spent so much time coming up with domain names and names for projects that don't pan out. What I really want to do is get down to actually focusing on the project itself and building that product. And Hover gives you just what you need to get it done. They have amazing, beautiful, well-designed interfaces to make domain management fast and simple. They don't waste your time with nagging and upselling. They just give you the things you need, like who is privacy, their smart control panel. If you're not on Hover, they'll even help you switch with their free valet transfers. Valet transfer service. Nice. <laughs> which I have used because I have an IO domain and it lapsed 
on another domain registrar. Worst experience ever. I had to fight for five days just to get my stupid domain back, Bryn.io, which is, I mean, it's like six characters. Smooth it's great. shout out, Bryn. Smooth shout out. <laughs> <sighs> I just did it on Ghost. It's great. I use Hover's DNS tools to set up my new domain. It's great. It is a really good product. Both Brian and I use Hover for our personal domains, and we love it. So go to Hover, use promo code BRAGDRIVEN at checkout, all one word, to save 10% on your first purchase, and let them know you came from the show, which really helps us out. They've been with us from the beginning. It, it helps them know that their investment is worthwhile, and it helps keep us putting out great content every single week, and maybe twice a week. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, second shows need second bros. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> Anyways, Second thanks. Out bros. <laughs> thanks to Hover for keeping thanks. this going. Thanks once again to Hover. So you've been known for kind of taking a lot of photos and everything. Did Is that what influenced you joining the Twitter photo team? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, aside from design, uh, work on my website, just traveling, taking photos, and finding a way to put them online, share my experiences, my travel experiences, has been just like my hobby. Like... Every time I go on a trip, I'll spend like the next three months of spare time processing the photos and building little like mini sites around them. Um, so it's just really fortunate that I've been able to like switch to the photos team um, and work on the, the same kind of stuff for Twitter. Um, it's just like a nice blending of my passions. So are they mostly travel based or do you kind of... I tend to post whatever's most aesthetically pleasing being the designer I am. So that tends to be travel and not like San Francisco shots. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say, do you do you carry a camera around very often, or do you just kind of use your phone? Uh, no phone shots at all when I'm traveling. It's all my camera's Ooh. always on me. I'm like the complete opposite of this mobile trend. I have my A7S with me, and when I'm traveling, it could be two weeks, and I'll have like less than fifty shots on my phone, but like seven thousand on my camera because I'm always carrying it with me, and I might as well take the better shot. What point does a phone camera have to get to for you to change? Oh, uh, that's. I'm like the furthest end oh, no. of the mobile photography. Like, there's when it comes to quality and what you can do with it. Just, I don't think it's going to get there for like 15 years. 15 years. I'm telling you, it's a, a pretty bold proclamation. Look back, and we'll be. We're going to we're going to yeah, flying the, cars by then. I mean, the, the Nexus 10 or iPhone 10 has like a mount so I can screw on a Canon lens. Like, nothing's going to happen. That's fair. Yeah, the optics. Fair. You could have a great sensor, but unless you let me strap on a big lens. You don't want that happening. Nokia one that had the lens mount? Wasn't there one? Uh, the had, pure... I thought it had a micro four-thirds mount. The no, pure view thing. It's all about full frame. I'm not going to touch anything else. Definitely a big fan of cameras. I had a, the larger Canon full frames, the 5Ds, and I loved it. It was a little too much. I got the Sony RX1 a couple years ago. I heard that was really awesome, but it wasn't flexible. It was a little slow. You couldn't change lenses. And I took that to my first like big international trip, Japan, um, where I actually like was cared about photography. Before, I had traveled, but I didn't really care about taking photos. And it was fantastic. It was full frame. It was small enough to take anywhere. So it's like the performance of your big DSLR you know, 5D, but you can take it anywhere. You just have to have a pocket full of extra batteries because it chewed through them. Um, and then I switched to the Sony A7S. And still full frame, great quality. 20% bigger, but better lenses that you can swap out. And that's like the perfect travel camera for me. Do you ever shoot analog? No. I keep seeing like a handful of photographers that shoot analog. Or yeah, at least I'm, use like... I'm like the kind of person where I'll take digital photos and then I'll like like be a little like weirded out by people that have 
grain that they add in post on their DSLR photos. I'm like, you just paid $6,000 for that. To avoid grain. I mean, you want to add grain in there? No, like I, I'm totally against the, the film look trend on digital photos. Like, why would you add grain? I just, it hurts. I've probably done that at some point too. Do you travel a lot? I mean, Brian just got back from an insane like six week trip to Asia. Well, I mean, I wish we I could... went to like the same places in Japan. Oh yeah. Where'd you go? Well, I was in Tokyo and I was looking through your photos and, we went to really similar spots. Um, like You're in Hokkaido, right? No, I was in Shibuya and near Shinjuku and nice. stuff like that. I think, yeah, some of our photos definitely overlapped. Yeah, I mean, I, I spent a couple of days in Tokyo, and then I just had the, the train pass, and I just went all the way down. You went to Kyoto. Kyoto, Hiroshima, uh, Miyajima, and some... Oh, Mount, Mount Koya. So you actually saw Japan, yeah. yeah was Tokyo is like one small part, right? Yeah, it was kind of funny. Like, I timed it a little poorly. I I didn't know that we were going to IPO, like, the exact date. And I oh, they wow. announced it, and I took off. And in the middle of my trip, I'm in this uh, Ryokan on the top of this mountain. I have, like, no cell ser- service. And then that's, like, the morning of the Twitter IPO'd. And I woke up at, like, 4 a.m. I, like, the, the faintest signal, I was, like, chatting, like, checking Twitter, see what my, all my coworkers are saying. They're all, like, having a good time, like, tweeting and stuff. Isn't Ryokan pretty, like, rural? A Ryokan is like the type of uh, like hotel, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Lodging, okay. not a hotel. And it was like these Buddhist monks that, that ran it. So you sleep on the floor in the little kind of mat, and they wake you up at 6 a.m. for like a Buddhist uh, morning ceremony, I guess you'd call it. And they woke us up right after that, and then they take you. It's freezing, so cold, at the top of this mountain. Um, and they take you outside in this little hut, and then you go have breakfast, uh, very traditional it was the the one thing I remember vividly. It was so quiet. I've never heard silence like that before. You live in a city. You kind of like it's always like some th- something's making noise. The fridge, you know, the muni outside come by. I was on the top of the mountain. I I've never heard anything so quiet. It's a weird feeling to describe. Like it was just pure silence. It was a nice kind of dichotomy versus like working tech out here. Do you travel a lot for fun? Uh, I try to do something every six months to nine months. Um, I mean. Before Twitter, I did startups for five years, and I traveled, like, not at all. Like, to go home for the holidays, that's about it. And I kind of got a little burnt out. And now that I had a little bit more work-life balance recently, kind of taking that to heart when I can. You wrote a few posts about, like, how to manage being, like, a founder and still staying sane. Is How's the work-life balance thing now that you're not in a startup? Yeah, uh, good question. It's definitely been a little bit more sane. Uh, I remember my first month, I would come home from work like 6.30, and I had no idea what to do with myself. Like, I'm used to working until like 1 a.m. Or, some, or something like that, and I like I swear I watched like all of Netflix in a month. <laughs> <laughs> and now what do you do with your free time? Uh, I have side projects. So it's either my I'm working an article for my blog, or I'm processing photos for my photo blog, uh, usually those, or just like keep working on framework prototypes for work. That's that's definitely fun. At this point, is blogging just for fun for you, or is there any tangible like feedback for you it's in just, terms of your career? It's just fun. I mean, at like this that. point, I've been running a blog for almost ten years, so like I feel bad if I don't actually maintain it. So it's like part of my portfolio, my personal identity. And I mean, I used to make money off of it, but I took all the ads off because they're ugly. Is it also like a process thing? Like, do you think about it in terms of like, this is part of my like daily regimen. I have to do this in some capacity. 
not daily regimen. Like I used to blog when I was in college. I blogged like three times a day. Like I have a thousand posts now. That was largely during my college days. I was blogging all the time. Do you know who Marquise Brownlee is? Uh, MKBHD, right? Yeah. 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 It, it, like your old posts remind me a lot of him now. Like it's it's just a different format. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, video has definitely taken off since. Um, but no, definitely not a daily regimen. But whenever I have an idea, my thing is now I blog only when I have something I know I can write a lot about. So like long form has kind of become my my thing and my passion. Um, so I don't feel the need to blog or write anything for months until I have a little figment of an idea that I can talk about, I can write about. Uh, so I'll start with an outline, then I'll fill it in over like, you know, passing days, weeks. And once I think I have something tangible that I can write about, um, then I go from there and usually I try to take as many photos as I can to fill up the post. Even if it's not about photography, if it's about a gadget or this or that, I just love being as visible as possible. Is it pretty tricky for you guys to like find a balance though between work like at a very prominent company that has a, obviously you're working on big projects that probably require a lot of time? Is is it hard to balance that out? I mean, I'll be lying if I didn't say that. I definitely work some weekends and came in on Sundays and Saturdays, uh, just all in uh, due time. And that comes in waves, or like now that video's done, do you gonna get to take a breather? No, because now I'm thinking about the next thing. Ah. <laughs> and I don't suppose you'll share that here on the podcast. It's Twitter this. holograms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and in our prototyping group, I mean, there's there's a lot going on at the company. And while we have, like, kind of firm commitments on some of the things we do, it's also, like, you know, lots of people, there's lots of interesting things being worked on that uh, we can partner with. So it, my problem is more, like, uh, not over committing because there's a lot of interesting stuff. And I kind of... Uh, as they say, bias towards yes of like, yeah, I'd love to, you know, I can come up with cool ideas. We should work together. But I try and keep that in check to say, all right, like I want to actually deliver when I tell someone I'm interested and want to work on it, but also, uh, yeah, have an outside life. That is incredibly hard to say no, because there are so many cool ideas to work on. Yeah, yeah. I've never <laughs> met a developer who like said no without saying, yes, we'll do this other thing, you know, yeah. like, and usually it's more work than whatever was originally suggested. They're like, yeah, this would be super cool. Let's just keep making it bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of great people around here, like not, you know, just at Twitter everywhere. So yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff to be, uh, to work on. And yeah, it's like hard to stop yourself sometimes. I don't want to get too high level. Well, yeah, I guess I do. In the grand scheme of your, your life, like (laughs) (laughs) all the way to the top, but so you're working on Twitter and you're you're doing video stuff and and this is all great, right? You're impacting millions and millions of people. I'm curious in the grand scheme of your life, what do you want your mark in terms of engineering or prototyping or design? Taptic uh, feedback. Taptic feedback. Like what do you what do you want your work to be about uh in in the bigger sense, right? Yeah, that's I mean that's deep. that's that is deep. Um I mean I don't have like a totally ready answer for Brian that. is a super deep guy. It's amazing how much is hypothetical. Um, and he still gets stuff done on the, insane. um, like on the kind of work technical side, I'd say that, you know, we all realistically, most of the stuff we make for any software company or hardware company or whatever, like it kind of all will be ephemeral in the end, even if the, the, and so that that's true and that's fine. So I look at it as like, okay, am I getting a chance to work with smart people that I respect on things that I find interesting that hopefully, at least today, positively impact people's lives. 
then I think that's the best you can do in terms of like your work output. Um, I mentioned to you kind of previously before the thing that's turned basically the rest of my existence into a side project is I now like I have a kid. So in the grand scheme of things, like I suppose he's ultimately the the thing that um, will have the biggest impact. And that is a design challenge, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's it's an interesting, uh, it, but yeah, it's an amazing experience. But I suppose yeah, you could say that he's probably in the end going to you know be the biggest impact of anything I've done. That's totally fair. <laughs> yeah, for not having a ready answer, that was that's very insightful. <laughs> that was a very good answer. <laughs> uh, very thank deep. You. I got nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Um, okay, maybe like scope out 10 years. Do you still see yourself working with Twitter? Or do you want to go back to the startup world? Maybe um, I should rephrase that. No, that was good. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'll be back in startups anytime soon. I did three in a row. That was... They all lot. got funded too, right? Yeah. That's um, pretty amazing. All I in mean, vari- varying amounts, but... Uh, that is Quit insane. fucking around startup founders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's they were, insane. I mean, they were all different one was like uh personal itch but small market the other one was can you talk like can you mention what they yeah were? that was scribit what what was that so scribit was my first startup it was a tool to help writers cure writer's block so you put this widget on your site and people can suggest things for you to write about they'll get notified when you do other people can vote them up um so it's personal itch. i was blogging at the time i wanted more like ideas about what to write about and that was while you're still in georgia yeah i was at atlanta georgia tech and then your next two were here for yeah. Y Combinator? Yeah. So I moved out here in 2010. I ran into a friend uh, and previous uh, Georgia Tech colleague, Chad Etzel, who's now the lead iOS developer at Super, which, or, which is Jelly. And, Biz Stone's company, right? Yeah. And he was just finished up YC with a startup called Notifo, mobile notifications platform. Uh, basically, inbox free push notifications. And TLDR, like, we were way too early on that. Like, there's so many startups coming out right now that are like right in this space. Yeah. And we're like, oh, we do you either that. have to like, be on one or you have to like roll your own. Yeah, and that's a whole that process. Like every week. <laughs> Too early. Yeah. So there's that one. It's cool technology, but the market was also kind of a little small. In the last one, uh, PicPump, got a photo printing and photo sharing. Huge market. We were tackling it from a different angle, which was photo printing and then figuring out ways to kind of share digitally. Um, but. The physical printing space is the e-commerce space. That's like slow growth, a lot of customer support. Um, so we kind of learned that early and we wanted to kind of pivot in a little bit at the last minute uh, to more digital stuff. Yeah, it's, that's really interesting. That, so, like, You don't shoot analog, but you wanted to print photos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the way I kind of picture it now is I'm not going to do another startup unless I have a personal itch and something like I feel super passionate about solving myself and not like, Oh, there's this gap in the market. I should build some cool tool for this. It's not something that'll make money. Like it doesn't have to be something that's, Oh, this looks like it would make money. Well, there's a caveat to that. Like it also should have a pretty big market. Yes. Cause all my past ones had pretty small markets. I, or I was part. meaning like it shouldn't just make money. It should be something that fits you. Yeah, right? absolutely. I'm a big fan of just like, you have to be building something that you care about. And that's part of the reason why I joined Twitter. Like I was saying, like it's my online identity. I use it all the time. There's no company out there, no startup that like I'm using all the time. Like bar none. Yeah, I talked to my Facebook friends and I was like, you know, Twitter is where it's at. Like <laughs> they get pretty upset. Does it does it ever weigh on you like the kind of social uses that are pushed on? Like 
Egypt was a big one, right? Like, I mean, the the world scale of Twitter is we see this every week. There's some trending topic, some event, uh, some cultural uprising. Like, it, it's all on Twitter. Is that it's something that first. factors into your interest in the company, or was it? Oh, absolutely. Was yeah. it kind of beside like the a, point? It's, like a, it's a global company, widely distributed, real time. Public and conversational. <laughs> <laughs> What's the mission statement, Paul? When did the marketing department get here? <laughs> uh, Avi, you're quite quiet on Twitter, though. So how does this ring to you? Yeah, you have a lot of followers for being so quiet. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I, I mean, we were talking before, again, about my kind of uh, fly below the radar sort of inherent personality is it's true like it, it's definitely a stereotype of saying like oh yeah well I use Twitter but I just like consume and don't publish and that was definitely true before I joined Twitter I've tried to be a little bit better but I guess I set this like uh, bar for myself of like okay is that something that anyone is really going to care about before I you know yeah, tweet it um, and that's still in there even though I've been like trying to be better uh, about it but yeah I mean I, that the scale and the impact of Twitter is one big reason why I joined. I mean, I was at a great company and I was like, I'm not going to leave for just any old thing. And it's just an amazing company and the tools that it makes like, are doing so many crazy, amazing things around the world. And no, there's nothing else like it. Um, so it is it is a lot of fun and a big responsibility and really awesome uh, thing to work on. Yeah, I mean... Another reason I joined Twitter was I wanted to kind of learn what designs were successful out there after you launch them. And you can easily see that with tons of people using them. It's super public. Super public. Also, especially with uh, just experiments that we can run. Um, so I wanted to know what successful design was. And when I joined Twitter, my first year was essentially on the growth team. So I learned a lot of interesting things there. And uh, like, for example, when we launched Twitter video, uh, you know, I would just for the first week or two just start searching like who's publicly tweeting uh, Twitter videos and you see students in Thailand, people in Japan, like just, it's crazy. That's something I built. These school children are using, just like, like recording their basketball game or telling each other jokes. Like, it's just crazy. There was a funny video of these students that were uh, in the back of like a computer science class, but they're like just playing Counter-Strike. And they're, <laughs> they're putting on a video. <laughs> God, kids are not very smart. <laughs> Have you guys heard of the video games that are using Twitter now? Like iDarb? Like you can tweet with a certain, I think hashtag. I, I just heard about it on a podcast oh, that night, dude. And saw- it'll it'll throw stuff into the game that your friends are playing with, like controllers what? in front of a screen. Whoa. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I have heard of uh, World of Warcraft just added a selfie feature that you can tweet out. <laughs> if you search for like "Wow selfie," yeah, that's like just last couple of days, yeah. right? I've just seen a uh, twit twit stock. Have you seen that? I have not. You connect with Twitter, and your username or your profile is like a stock. And you can buy other people's like shares of other oh, people's I thought usernames. You stock at, like spelled differently. I'm like that doesn't sound good. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, stalker stalking people. Oh 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 no 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 <laughs> stock like stock market. And it's like a huge platform. I don't know if it's huge, but it's a platform you can <laughs> trade other people's usernames. I don't know. Like that's such a yeah. random. All right, everybody, get in early on me. It's right. gonna blow up. Yeah, this uh, is gonna I invested in Mark, Mark uh, Andreessen a long time ago. Oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> no, I. The only thing I've really built anything for was Twitter. Like, that's been... Like, it's the platform I like the most. As soon as I stopped trying to, like, broadcast with it and started just conversing with people, it's it's had the most value for me. It's a tool I use. It's the only tool that's open, like, 24 hours a day. <laughs> I've built a couple, like, tools for it, which 
were ruined by group DMs and links and DMs finally, but I was happy to see it be broken. That's like that's a good feeling when it's like a tool to use that's there's a good enough solution that whatever you built is now invalid. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. You have like a philosophy or anything you keep in the back of your head as you're designing? Uh, get also, more likes. It's also deep. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't go shallow, man. I, not in particular. Well, but these I, are, but I, will I don't go shallow because I'm. I'm. I'm genuinely curious how other people think about design, especially at so, like at scale. Yeah, right? it's one a thing that definitely uh, become part of my process is like in my mind as I'm designing something, I'll like quite like ask myself questions like, does this need to be there? What's the point of this thing? And it's questions that you know might come up in a design crit. And I'll kind of try to preempt that and also just think about it myself. And like, it basically leads me to like simplify as much as possible. Um, and it's funny because I'll come home and my roommate is uh, April, at April Zero on Twitter. He has this startup called Gyroscope. Yes. And they do health tracking, like really great design. And I'll go home and his like design is the opposite of mine. Like super technical, lots of stuff on a page. And I'll go home and like, what does that do? What, what, do you need this? <laughs> We're just like have design crits every night. It's great. We actually had a bunch of people request an interview with him too. Well, you can have him next. Yes. <laughs> How does got the end? Just take him out of the house. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get him out of the two hours. How does design, crit, and feedback work at Twitter? Um, so we kind of had split up depending on the team. We, we have a lot of designers, so it makes sense to have um, smaller design crits with the immediate teams that you're working on. Um, so they're kind of familiar with, with what you're already working on, and it's not like you know 50 people telling you what to do. They're familiar with the problems kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, my photos team, like the kind of people that are on the periphery of that, um, we meet uh, every Thursday morning and it's like an hour, hour and a half and it's super informal, no presentations. You just plug in your laptop. Usually it's just people scrolling around sketch, showing some things or might, I might show a framer studio, just play through something and get feedback. It's pretty open. And the way we kind of do design crits, it's not like, oh, you're going there to get approval from your manager. It's, it's just like, no, you're getting feedback. You don't have to incorporate it. It's just some thoughts to think about. Do you, I, I keep seeing posts about people who are, they'll avoid their first iteration just for because it was their first iteration. They're like, oh, it was probably wrong. Is that part of the process or do you kind of evolve it directly? So the way I've kind of changed my design process was, you know, as I'm playing along in Sketch, I'll like have tons of iterations. But instead of showing like 13 different mockups, I'll pick my favorite one or two and I'll keep the rest in like a hidden page. And if someone talks about, oh, have you tried this? And I'm like, yep, I did that one over there. But usually I try to pick the best one that I think and see what people think uh, with that hunch. So before you share it, you have a lot of iterations in. Oh, tons. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You're nodding like you do the same thing, Avi. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good way. To, like you you want to get feedback. Um, there's only so much time in those meetings and lots of people have things they want to show. So you want to kind of prep and say, well, these are the ones I feel are the most important. So I, you know, I'm not going to waste too much uh, time that other people have. But you want to have your other designs at the ready exactly when people say, oh, have you, have you yeah, thought of you this? Also, or maybe this would work over here to be able to say like, okay, yeah, check this out. Or I thought about that here, but is this what you meant when you referred to it in my, you know. Yeah, I also don't design. think you want to go to a design critique with all of your work and like have other people make your decisions for you. Yes. I mean, there should be some pointed questions that you have. Like, oh, I don't think this works because of this when you scroll um, and just kind of get some feedback on that. So it really helps when you set the context like, I'm here for this issue I'm having. Uh, this is what I'm working on. I'm not looking for feedback on these other 10 things. This is the thing we're building right now. So, <clears throat> wow. 
my mind just went blank. I had a question ready. I swear to God, I had a question <laughs> ready. Do you ever show stuff in progress? Uh, at publicly or? Yeah. So at Sideware, I just joined this new startup. Yeah. And at Shopsay before that and all my side projects and everything, we, we usually have a Slack channel set up for feedback. And I will push stuff. Like when I save it, I'll actually send it to Slack and be like, here's what I'm working on. Here's what I think this solves. Here's the things that it's still missing. Here's the things that I know are broken and just don't tell me what to solve them. <laughs> yeah, so I I would say I'll definitely do that with my direct team. So I sit with uh, three of the designers like on my like on my desk. Um, so it's very easy to kind of like kick them and point at my monitor. <laughs> like, hey, what do you think about this? Yeah, uh, you know, or my, my my PMs will stop by. Uh, so when it comes to things things like that, for sure. But you don't share it more broadly until not, the, not until really. it's Thursdays like, or whatever. Have kind of a story around what I'm, what problem I'm solving because if you just see Got a mock up without context about the problem. The history, I think it's not going to be very productive. That's fair. Do you see yourself ever going into management? Potentially. Um, Is that something you want to do or do you want to stay like focused on like building stuff every day? For the near future, I absolutely want to stay focused on building cool things, doing tons more prototyping. Like That's just like, I'm still shocked that within the last year, my design process has gone from like just visual design, some sketching... And by sketching, I meant like paper because sketch didn't come yep. out until recently. <laughs> um, it, to like an entirely new tool, tool, sketch, and another entirely new tool, framer, like in the last year. And the, like the benefits of prototyping, I just, it's just amazing. Like I cannot believe that framer is this good and it's just came out. Like they're, they've got a bright future ahead of them. For those of you listening, Avi can't stop nodding. So. Yeah, no, I mean, he's, he's covering a lot he's of the same points. He's in wild agreement here. Well, I mean, all the stuff about like, you know, sharing your work in progress, like you, you want to work in an environment where it's okay to do that. And like on the one hand, not bugging people so much that you're like kind of wasting their time, but you know, you, uh, you need feedback at different stages and like you shouldn't hopefully be afraid to say, hey, I'm working on this. It's totally just a you know sliver of an idea, but here's what I'm going for. What do you think? And and you might even say if people are like uh, are really critical of it, it doesn't mean you have to give up on it. It might just point out like, OK, well, I'm clearly not getting across what I thought I was, uh, but I'm always for showing stuff. And if I felt like I couldn't do that because the people around me were you know not going to. Uh, it wasn't going to be a positive interaction, then I would probably not work there. Yeah, a lot of the time when I'm just having a coffee break, I'll walk by Avi's desk and sit down, <laughs> interrupt him a little bit, probably too much, and be like, hey, what, what you working on? Yeah, yeah, no, which I, I mean, I appreciate because uh, you work with a lot of really great people, and some of them you run into daily, or you know they're in your media team, and some of them you don't, and it's great when you have a chance to like get that kind of outside view from someone who you know you only see once in a while. Are you guys hiring more designers and prototypers right now? Always. Yeah, you, always. Uh, you guys I, in- I believe our, our VP of design has his Twitter bio, or maybe change it, but it used to be, if you're good, we're always hiring. Ah, that's and a I good, that, good model. So it's not like yeah. a current initiative, it's just an, an ongoing thing. Oh, it's definitely a current initiative, and okay. it's ongoing. Yeah. Are you Got guys it. involved in the hiring side at all? Um, I mean, we, yeah, I mean, we take a look at candidates. Everyone's encouraged to like, you know, propose people if you're like hey this guy's really good i mean yeah i mean the whole company does that i don't exactly see like the raw pipeline of people applying but if someone makes it past like the phone interview i'll get added to a panel or something yeah uh one thing i ask a lot of guests and i think it's valuable because there are a lot of newer designers listening um what are the biggest mistakes you see young designers or applicants making i think one of the the big things is 
just describing what your problem was, what your solution is when you, when you start showing like designs, sketches, visuals, visual designs, you have to kind of start with the context, similar to what we do in design critique, start with the context, you know, what's the history of this problem? Why do you do this? A lot of time people just like forget to say why they're doing something. And then, then it becomes a discussion of colors and shapes and what yeah. the visual design, but it shouldn't be about that. Yeah, I mean, I was going to sit here nodding the whole time through, but that's I think that's exactly it. And we also, I think before we started recording, we're talking about people just sort of presenting their final work on Dribble or whatever. And I think the biggest mistake I saw when we were, anytime I've interviewed people is like, they wouldn't talk about their process of how they made their decisions, what they thought about. And that's definitely, it's more important I think than the final product because you want to see how the person works and if they have the right methodology or the right way of thinking of things but they're not developed yet in like having something that's like totally beautiful or has the right specular highlighting or whatever um, you can get that but if your person is just super sloppy or hasn't thought about you know what problem are they trying to solve or that kind of thing like that's hard to develop in somebody like it's much better to see that yeah this person like as a great way of thinking about design issues and that's design in a technical sense, like graphic design, all that stuff. That's what um, I look for now. And that's what we looked for um, when I was hiring in my last team is like, you want people who can kind of represent how they work and how they think about the things they're working on. Make sure the problem is visible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. Like give the context like of the thing, especially if it's a side project that you just sort of invented you want to have a good story of like, well, this is what I'm trying to do. It comes from this need or just this is why I started this project. And here's the early stuff I did. Here's the later stuff I did. Here's the final product. Um, it's rarely going to be you're you know going to walk into an awesome job just from the final product. Like I think mm-hmm. people need to see how you got to where you ended up. Uh, if only because, you know, you want to make sure that the person actually did the work that they said they did. So it's easy enough to be like, yeah, I invented that or I made that. And you point at the finished product and you're like, okay, well, describe to me how that's true. Like, show me what you did. And that was what was so valuable for me for the the Twitter video post. Because you actually showed, you said, here's the problem. And then you showed everything that didn't work, right? You're like, yeah. here here are all the problems that I came up with. And like, It would be a very short post if I just talked about what we exactly, did. Exactly, yeah. I, Do you guys like to see works in progress yeah. when you're talking to designers that might join the team? Or is it just like more polished work I mean, with the, the problem? The interview starts with a, with a portfolio review. So they show what the, whatever they want to show and we kind of ask questions about it. Um, I will say though, like going back to your question about like what kinds of things I like to see. Um, this is the mobile age. Like it's nice to see mobile designs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, clarify so like not having a portfolio of only web stuff is that what you mean yeah sorry sorry yeah that's exactly what i mean okay um, shit <laughs> need to brush up like one thing I was, I was telling a friend actually who was applying at another company uh great designer but his portfolio did not have any uh, mobile work he just didn't have the chance to do it maybe a mobile website but not a mobile app so i suggested you know if he had the time come up with like a fun little app and just design it like a fake app. He likes climbing. So I was like, make an app called Boulder, make a little icon and then just like have a Boulder logging app or a climbing logging app or something. Just like think about the entire problem set of this problem you actually have and basically spec work for yourself. Yeah. Uh, is there a danger there making up a problem for yourself or I, I mean, guess it has to be like 
A, there a, actually a, has to be. I mean, it's solving a problem in that you're trying to get this job. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not going to get it without doing this yeah. thing. So the problem yeah. was that I don't have a job. So here's this app to solve that. <laughs> app has nothing to do with it. <laughs> All right. Well, we're running out of time. So is there anything else you guys want to plug besides that you're hiring right now? Um, I would just point out too for people who are like want to get their product in the real world is also just to highlight like how awesome the Twitter engineering team is like the the client side people and especially the back end when you talk about video like there's an amazing set of people who turned the designs into the actual product that people use and Absolutely. that result in the pixels ending up on your device from all these videos that people make and yeah, and that's a great team to have on your side when you're a designer saying, like, I'm going to work somewhere. You want the people who can execute the thing you make. And that's definitely true of Twitter. And, like, you see it in the fact that the feature shipped and it works. So working at Twitter doesn't suck? No, it doesn't, <laughs> suck. It doesn't suck. Um No, it's it's a great place. Absolutely. And where can people find you guys online? I am <laughs> at Stammy on Twitter. That's two M's. Um, I well, I'm at sf underscore avi, which is a bit of a random. Uh, but yeah, as you noticed, I'm kind of hiding. But uh, people can contact me, and you talk occasionally. I talk occasionally, and I'm I'm trying to do a better job. But uh, you could do an amazing, amazing blog on how to tutorials for prototyping. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the I world be redacted blocks everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> dude, that's fine. The world needs more. And if you can show some in progress work of stuff that well, I, I was joking that Stammy's turning into my PR person, so he's kind of bringing me out of my. <laughs> that's shell. a pretty good PR person. Though, <laughs> it right? is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, bringing I'm you like, to the interview or the podcast. The but anyway, you guys are so a pretty yeah. amazing odd couple. <laughs> I think that there'll probably be more of this kind of stuff because you uh, there's a big need for it. And yeah, I mean, I'm happy to pass on whatever I can. Start a blog. All right, cool. <laughs> That's just my own. Just think you could be the blogging Brett Victor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the subtitle of the blog. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, really thanks. Absolutely. It. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you.